Welcome to Soundpost, a podcast dedicated to exploring the meaning of orchestral music in today's world through the lives of its leading artists. I'm Carlos Miguel Prieto. And I'm Raul Gomez. And today we're joined by Dominic Celtis of Amsterdam's Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra. Dominic, how's it going? It's extremely good. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm here in beautiful, sunny, uh, just in a, t a little, tiny little town just outside of Amsterdam. I'm feeling very lucky. We're healthy. And, uh, uh, and I have this beautiful studio uh, of my own, which is completely soundproof. So luckily, nobody can hear me practicing. And I have a little boat outside. I live on a canal. I mean, like I live up and just down the road is, is a windmill. And um, I'm living a full on Dutch, beautiful life. And uh, uh, it's just um, uh, everything looks better when the sun shines. It's as simple as that, really. And we should clarify for those people listening to this in uh, 2051, we're recording this uh, in late April of 2020, and it's day about 1,000, it feels like, of, of lockdown because of coronavirus. And this is affecting everybody. How, how are you guys uh, coping? Um, I have to be honest and, and say that I, I'm also a guy uh, very much like you two that enjoys working. I enjoy my job. I enjoy what I do. Um, and so I don't have any hobbies. My, my work is my hobby and my work is my life and my life is my work and my work is, you know, and, and so th that's what I enjoy. My hobby is is doing a gig and then and then enjoying the brilliant people that I've just done a gig with afterwards. That's that's what I do. And um, that has completely stopped. There was one day, Friday the 13th it was for us here, um, of uh, March, uh, which is ironic. Uh, that uh, on, During that week, I, I was due to do six concerts, um, rehearsals during the day. Uh, I was on a, a theatre tour going around the Netherlands doing my, my one-man show, the, the one-man show, but with 10 other people on stage. It was drawing in crowds that I could only have ever hoped to, uh, hoped for. And also, you know, there's an amazing thing when, you know, you guys are both musicians as well as conductors um, and um, instrumentalists. Sorry, a slip of the tongue. Um, <laughs> the instrumentalists as well as conductors. And so you know that feeling of <clears throat> when you're when you just can't put a note wrong. You, everything is is just working. And, and that doesn't come around that often in a career when you literally you put the, the in my case, the bass between my legs and I just can't do anything wrong. And, and it's just a beautiful feeling. And I was right in the middle of one of those moments when all this started. So that's for, uh, for me, that's the most gut wrenching that I actually could make the bass sound quite nice and on purpose as opposed to a fluke and, and, um, mm. And so, but it's, I have to be honest and say that it's terrifying. It's abs as, as a professional musician, um, it's absolutely terrifying. But I think what, what, uh, what we're, what we're struggling with, with now is, is a sort of a mental, actually, a mental thing. Certainly for me, this, this, I've spent my whole life uh, being surrounded by amazing music and amazing musicians. And to cover up me, I mean, that's that's it's a sort of it's a sort of alter ego, if you like, the, the person that gets on stage. You're not normal if it's if it feels completely like you being on stage. Of course, you're sort of playing a part and, the, and our role as vehicles through which the music comes. Um, it, it, you have to sort of play this act. And when that act no longer exists, what I'm left with is me. 
and um, and it turns out that I'm a bit of a dick. <laughs> so, so <laughs> and and I've now worked out why I play music because I don't have to deal with me. I, I'm I'm much happier actually going through the music, and 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 that's the bit I'm struggling with. You know, what is my purpose? And but but actually, I like you guys are are, are also very. Um, over here in Holland, I'm very involved in all the media and stuff like that. And I've realized how important music is to people uh, and, and their lives. But uh, before we get on to that, um, Carlos Miguel, you, ha- you spend at least 10 months a year on the road, I would suggest. Uh, 12. Right. So how is it then for you to suddenly be at home without t- making it personal? I mean, that literally from because i happen to know that you're also in my old orchestra uh for a couple of weeks the bbc national orchestra of wales who and they yes. adore you by the way i've i've tried to tell them otherwise but they they won't listen <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean for you guys the conducting the the conductors and the and the educators this is this is a terrifying time for you because you have to deal with yourselves as well i i echo everything that you say but but I I've arrived at the I already turned the corner between you know I think that 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 this in part is like a grieving period uh, where initially we all were in disbelief and then little by little we started grasping what was happening and etc uh, etc et and for me what was hardest is that. Um, uh, moment where you understand that suddenly, well, your life has changed absolutely radically and, and for a time that is impossible to calculate. And, and you know, I started to understand uh, not necessarily how to cope with it, but the, with the fact that uh, um, as performers, we are addicted to adrenaline uh, and uh, performance is adrenaline Travel is adrenaline, uh, work is adrenaline, and in, in your case, I imagine, uh, I imagine television or media is, is mega adrenaline. So when suddenly um, that is uh, taken away from you, it's like a detox uh, period. And uh, f- for me, that's uh, what I'm going through uh, right now, and I've kind of substituted again uh, my, you know, I used to base my my years um, or my weeks on, on where I was that, that week. Uh, and now I've been for almost five weeks in the same place. And to tell you quite frankly, and this is uh, almost uh, um, uh, painful to admit, uh, that life was very, very exciting for me, and it was very, very painful for my wife. Um, and I love my wife, and uh, and very exciting for my kids, but also difficult for my kids. So, uh, I I I think that I'm understanding and trying to see whenever the light comes back at the end of the tunnel how I'm going to organize my life so that I learn from this experience and I'm not just like skipping around. I mean, when, when you were saying about Wales, which 
that's a beautiful orchestra and a, a beautiful everything. Um, I, 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 I did Walton, Walton's, uh, amazing first symphony. And the, the truth is that from Wales, I went directly to Mexico City for a rehearsal of Mahler 7 and then did a performance of Mahler 7 on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, left the, from Bellas Artes in Mexico City and arrived New Zealand for a rehearsal of London Symphony by Vaughan Williams. So, I mean, just imagine, first of all, for musicians, what it is to go from Mahler 7 to Vaughan Williams' London Symphony is like scary, uh, but this kind of moving around is, is in my mind, absolutely unnecessary for my future. If I want to have, uh, you know, a, a relationship, if I want to have a family. So uh, I think that there is a lot to be learned about what we're going through. If we take it as a parenthesis that I hope is not too long and that I hope doesn't come back, but that my goal is I want to look back at this parenthesis and said it made my life and my family's life better. How do you guys think this might change the idea of normal when it comes to just, you know, the orchestral world and orchestral performances and, and concerts? Do you see this uh, as something that has the potential to really have that sort of like tectonic effect on, on what we believe is normal? Can I, can I, first of all, I'll, I'll answer that question. It's a very good question. But can I, first of all, ask you guys, do you know any, I mean, where, Carlos, you're in, in Mexico. Uh, Raul, you're where right I'm in now? Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon, full of coffee shops. Are they open? Uh, they're doing takeout. Many of them are. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. Um, but, okay, so we're spread around the world. I mean, isn't this fantastic that we're able to speak to each other? And are you, are you like me, uh, struggling? Uh, I mean, both of you are conductors uh, and, and uh, educators. Are you struggling with picking up a new score? And, and just, you, you, I mean, uh, okay. I, I mean, what, what, we're, what we, we, we're very lucky. We can see each other. Obviously, the podcast, you can't see anything. But the situation here is that I have two bases unpacked. <laughs> One is actually li laying down next to my base chair. Um, so I have literally, all I have to do is lean over and pick it up and put it between my legs. And I just can't bring myself to do it to practice. I, I've, I'm doing it to play a little bit for media stuff, but to actually study. I just haven't got there yet. How are you guys getting around this educating thing and encouraging students to pick up their instruments and play uh, with the thought of one day maybe we'll be able to play a symphony again. Because right now, as we sit here, no matter how positive you are, how silver lining you are, it's looking very unlikely in 2020. I, I'll, I'll try to respond to this. And this, is, of course, is, is, a, is a, a conversation that I have with different organizations every single day. Uh, first of all, about I actually have my violin here with me, and um, and Carlos, I, Carlos, things are not that bad. Okay, you don't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, you know, the thing that is that so so I I'm not a professional violinist, thank God. In other words, I can play the violin, 
but but and I can play well, but I don't do it as part of my work. But one thing uh, which has changed is I'm actually playing scales every day and doing for 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 people who don't know what scales are, it has nothing to do with fish. Uh, it it's just <laughs> the simplest thing we can do on an instrument, which is just play da 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 da, and depending on who I play scales with that day is whether it's one, two, or three octaves. Um, so I'm, I, I'm just getting back to uh, uh, that. To answer your question about do I know anyone who is employed, and um, I, will, I, will tell, I, I will tell you a, a story, and then I think that, uh, that it, it may be a starting point for your last uh, question. Yes, I do know people who are employed, uh, and I I saw a couple yesterday on my walk uh, into uh, this little town in Mexico, and they're doing what they do every single day, is they play on the street. So Raul spent a long time in New Orleans, he knows very well New Orleans, and he knows that uh, a lot of New Orleans musicians are day by day, and their job is the gig of the day. And if there's no gig at Snug Harbor or wherever, then they play in the street. Well, some of those musicians may start playing quite soon, which means that for what we do, which is very complex, big orchestral music, we have to, as leaders, we have to think of a new normal. And that new normal, I think, provides us an opportunity. So, uh, Dominic, you play in one of the best ensembles in the, you know, in the planet. Uh, and I'm sure that you, you know, the level of the orchestra is as good as it's ever been. The interest of the programs is probably fantastic. Uh, but you go back, you go back 30, 40, 50 years and your orchestra hasn't changed as much as this platform that we are using to work. In other words, it, there is something to be said about the fact that orchestras have lost mobility, imagination, uh, and a a new way of contacting people. And I'll just invite you to think about the following. Since uh, your orchestra, I'm assuming, is 100 musicians, 104, 103, uh, I, you know, all these people, they're not only good as, as an orchestra, they're sensational in their um, quintets, quartets, uh, sextets, whatever. Uh, if we think, and I'm just saying this out loud. I think about it, but you know, I'm just saying this out loud. If we think of us, of ourselves, not as artists, which is a very pompous, uh, hideous term, because what are we in comparison to Rembrandt um, or to whatever artist you consider a great artist? Uh, but if instead of thinking ourselves of ourselves as that, we think our, of ourselves now for a for a period of time that is, who knows how long, as social servants, as, as, as a minimum 
of what other people are doing every day, putting their life on the line. If we forget that the center of our life may be Mahler, but the center of our life may be bringing happiness uh, to, um, to a school, then I think uh, your orchestra, and I'm sure it, it will do this, will play a significant, huge role in the moral, um, emotional rebuilding of your country by going everywhere and providing your art to places where people would never dream of having the Royal Concertgebouw Wind Quintet play. I, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and the, the, our, our role as, as music makers, I think is the best uh, way to describe uh, us, us three, uh, because we really, I think between us cover pretty much all, all of it. Um, it is, I've always thought that we were in the memories business, that when we perform, <clears throat> the, ch the chances of, of our audience remembering every single note that we, that we play is slim. What they remember is the experience and probably about 10 seconds of that. And, and it is that, and we don't know when that's going to hit, of course. Um, and, and I think it, it, it's, it's, it, I think you're absolutely right, Carlos, that, that, that when this all returns, our role as music makers, um, it's much more than just playing playing Mahler. It's it's actually it's it's very significant for people to see and hear and experience music being played. It takes them to a different place, and that is our that is our job. So we 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 are we are simply servants to to a higher place. Um, but I think that's super significant with regards kids that are learning to play now. I'm struggling. I, I, I teach at the Royal Academy of Music in London, and now all of that is online. And I'm struggling, of course, to explain to my kids, who are not kids, they're young adults, um, you know, what I, I can see it in their face. Like, what, what the hell am I doing it for right now? None of their, you know, they've just done four years at the Academy, and they're final recital has just been cancelled through no fault of their own and they're about to launch into a, a business which does not exist um, as we speak today. Who knows what will happen next week? Uh, what do you guys think about the, uh, and Raoul especially, I mean, this is your this is your sort of, you know, area of expertise. This is what keeps you happy. How are you convincing young symphony orchestra musicians to to, you know, that it's worth it? I think, Dominic, you, you are a living example of exactly uh, what you were asking because uh, you, uh, you do so many things that came out of your music making. Uh, you, you found a way to, in, to still play at the highest level your instrument uh, in one of the best orchestras in the world, but you also found in yourself this kind of communicator, uh, which I, it'd be interesting to hear where, when you found that and why. But as you know, most musicians, and especially, and I'm sorry, I don't want to pigeonhole anyone, but most orchestral musicians limit their life to, uh, to uh, professional life, okay? To things that are way below their capacity. Uh, I, I, you know, spending so much time with orchestral musicians, 
I can I can say that there are the some of the smartest, some of the most capable, but also some of the people who limit their abilities or their their the scope of what they can do. Uh, why? Because of the way the job is 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 put together. So how do we motivate uh, young musicians so that first of all they maximize their musical abilities? But they also find that other thing in themselves that uh, forget about work, but that gives them daily motivation. And, and I, I think that this is actually, again, a uh, silver lining moment, uh, an opportunity, an opportunity, first of all, to see for the kids, do I really want to do this? Okay. Because, uh, the, 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 the problem is that, there are even in great conservatories people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, so in my view, this is an incredible opportunity to find motivation. And what we need and what we will need is generous leadership uh, as the kind of leadership of I don't only fend for my life but I try to create opportunities for others to join me. In other words, again, going back to this new concept of what an orchestra could be. Uh, you, you, you know, you live in a country that has uh, perhaps more orchestras per capita than any other in the world that I know. Well, well they did until about five weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying is that, that, that the... There needs to be a way out of this so that we create opportunities for those who deserve them. And creativity is such, uh, and the potential in humankind is such, that I am sure that there will be that way. But I, I invite both of you to take on that role because uh, if you, as a member of your orchestra, uh, create those opportunities for your colleagues, create your opportunities for your orchestra. Uh, you, you will be that generous leader and, and, and you and Raul in, in, in Portland, because otherwise, uh, we will just pretend that life can go back to what it was a year ago or a month ago or two months ago. And that will be completely impossible. I mean, just think about this. Most orchestras that I know have or had a union rule that said under eight musicians or 10 musicians or 12 musicians, you have to pay me extra. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, that, I'm sorry to say, yeah. will have to go away very quickly because that may be the way for at least... Six months. Okay. Sorry to, sorry to, uh, but, but this is actually, uh, it's really interesting. What you're saying there is, is of course putting you out of work because your, your role in chamber music, chamber music. So, so let's just explain to those who, who don't know. There is, there are, there are many pieces written for solo players, duets, trios, quartets of uh, hugely popular and and larger groups up until around about 10 players. And then after that, it becomes an orchestra. And at that point, normally, we would then invite in a conductor. So so your, 
uh, idea of of just getting music out there in chamber groups means that you're going to be sat on the seaside for at least another six months. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's my my life may may be needed with my hands or with my with with my voice as a mediator. Uh, and right. uh, you know, you you are a sensational one. Well, there's all this sorry BS around the orchestra world that w we should not, you know interact with the audience, the audience should not applaud between movements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, how about a new norm where somebody in the audience, in the orchestra, um, interacts with the audience between movements because they just felt like, oh my God, wasn't that movement just a, absolutely... At last, <laughs> somebody else has said it from a different continent. <laughs> I mean, just like, you know, if you see this rather ugly face, that's because I've been banging it against a wall for God knows how many years. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, if, if you think about it, just turn yourself into a jazz musician. And, and have that kind of interaction with the audience of saying, cool, I guarantee you that a change of model, a change of interaction will, will make in the medium term for a rejuvenation of the audience. Okay. And th this is what I, I call the TikTok of uh, symphony orchestras. Okay, so I have two teenage daughters. One is 16 and one is 14. Oh, God bless and you. And they know everything about TikTok. And I haven't been able to teach them uh, Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony. And why? Well, because they speak TikTok and I speak Adagio. Okay. And they hear Adagio and they say, oh, yeah. Here he goes again. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, we need to interact with the audience. We need to interact with people in a different way. But guess what? That way is what Haydn used to use. Yeah. In, in Haydn's time, it is well known. It's a fact that when uh, the Clock Symphony was premiered, the audience went so crazy after the ding, dun, ding, yeah. dun, ding, the movement that they actually had to replay that movement twice, okay? A total of three times. Well, imagine in your orchestra or in my orchestra, there would have to be like eight union meetings yeah. and uh, 16 yeah. overscale pay yeah. in order to do this. Oh, uh, so let's just go, go back to the time of classicism and turn our institutions into mobile institutions where we can... Uh, have an orchestra play in three times, three places at the same time, where concerts are not two hours long, where concerts have uh, much more vivid interaction. And uh, another thing, and I, I don't care really about at attire, about how people dress, but there is this thing that imagine yourself as an actor and imagine that as an actor, you are told, Whenever you perform uh, on stage, you are supposed to wear A if it's Friday, B if it's Saturday, and C if it's Sunday. Whether you play Shakespeare, Chekhov, or if that's the same thing, 
Okay, I think that we should incorporate visual elements, screens. Uh, if you place Petrushka, allow your orchestra to be creative and somebody dress like Petrushka or somebody dress like ballerina. I I'm sorry if this seems like, like, like gimmicky or whatever. This, this may be an exaggeration, but other performers do this. I, I, I just saw a show where Ian McKellen in London did a two-hour monologue, okay, and for his 80th birthday. And it's still here in my mind. Why? Because he was doing what orchestras cannot do with one person and with the creativity of breaking every single conceivable rules about what theater is like. Let me just uh, ask you to just a quick question. Uh, maybe you'll have an answer, maybe not. But when you think about just the magic of music and that just powerful experience that, that music can give you, can you think back when you guys were little boys or, or in, in your early teenage years maybe, can you recall an experience or a concert, a performance or something that was so magical that it shaped your your I'll go your first. Um, uh, yes, um, I, I can. Um, uh, but actually, uh, my most, um, my, my first memory, uh, of that really just sort of changed everything was doing a prom, uh, at the Royal Abbott Hall. And, uh, I don't know whether you guys have been lucky enough to do or, or been to one or, or play one. Um, but I've done one pretty much every year, uh, since I was 15. And the first one I did uh, that meant anything was Guru Leader with Pierre Boulez uh, conducting and Jesse Norman singing. So it was it was not bad <laughs> in my youth orchestra. And uh, what I remember the most was not only, of course, seeing my parents in the audience, which is, of course, is a massive thrill for for anybody. I mean, that's that's really something. Um, but also the other eight and a half thousand people there, and and, and thinking geez, they've all come to see the thing that I've been doing for the last week. That, that for me, I was hooked from that point on. And then, that, then let's spin forward 30 years to this theatre tour that I was talking about at the beginning of, the, of, the, of this wonderful chat, that actually I was doing this show where I was playing in theatres for about seven, 800 people on average. And you're, and you can see the whites of the eyes of the people in the front row and pretty much uh, everybody, everybody else. And, and there's this instant connection. The, different, the difference between playing in an orchestra on stage is that you are a long way away from the audience, physically, uh, emotionally, uh, and you can hide very easily in, in the orchestra. When you're doing a theatre show, you're right up front and they are all paying to see you. Very hard-earned money. And so you have to perform. And this experience of it made more sense to do that, that I could see what music does for people. When we play Barbara Adagio in the theatre show, and the most amazing thing is that, of course, we're, 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 the, there's lighting involved. So as Carlos said, we, we're trying to sort of, you know, make it a visual thing, and we're backlit. So from our perspective, um, or from the audience perspective, we're in the dark, we're shadow, and, but from our perspective, in order for that to work, the audience is completely black. And during Barbara Adagio, all, all we can see from the stage, because we're standing right at the edge of the stage, right at the front of the stage to make it a very sort of intimate thing, is the Apple Watches 
um, lighting up. <laughs> you know, you know when you when you move an Apple Watch, it lights up, and they're lighting up because they're wiping the tears from their face. So that's all you can see is Apple Watches all around the the audience, and then you think this is worth it, and and this is why after all of this is over, um, I will be the first out the blocks to to give. Uh, and share this amazing music. This was just happened to be through Barber, but it could have been anything. I know that the same effect. And that, and that for me was addictive when I was 16 and continues to be. I am hooked beyond uh, beyond belief now at, at a slightly older age. <laughs> <laughs> so, Raul, you, I'll, I'll answer, uh, but I'll, I'll start with a, a topic that... that that was before your 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 question, and um, it it has to do with motivation and how do you tell young people that this is worth it? And I'll I'll, I'll just tell you, I I'm a I'm a musician. I conduct orchestras, but what I studied in college is electrical engineering at Princeton University, uh, which is a, a a very coveted university. Uh, I'm not boasting, okay? You are. And then you I studied. Because I didn't do that. <laughs> well, I, well, well. I, 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 it, <laughs> and here, here's the deal. Then it came to me that I wanted to do business, and I got into Harvard and I did an MBA. Okay, these two things, all right, are the dream of the non-musicians galore. Okay, yet. Nothing in my work as an engineer or in my short work as a businessman after Harvard MBA, nothing came ever close to the first time I performed a Schubert symphony. Okay. And forget it, you know, add to that a piece by Moncayo, anything, nothing. Okay. And Dominique, Raul, if you would have heard that performance, you would have said, Oh my God, how could he have enjoyed that performance? Well, that's just from the bottom of my heart. Not everything is about money and not everything is about success in the way that we think about success. So if we change, if we change the objective from economic to social, personal, uh, communitarian, Music and orchestral music is unbeatable. To answer the, the, the last question about memories. Well, from early uh, chi childhood, one memory that comes to mind is playing at Interlochen at National Music Camp, which is in Michigan. People uh, from the United States and a lot of musicians went through this um, experience and One experience that really moved me, and I was in the middle of the second violin section, was playing Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony, uh, being conducted by Rostropovich. <laughs> and what impacted me, wow. first of all, I understood zero of what he was saying or of his movements. Okay? And, but, Now you know, you know how we feel when he, we look at you, Carlos. <laughs> that's right that's a, but see when you get your age or my age we we try to rationalize these things but kids 
as long as they know what the play, you know, the conductor can be doing all this stuff and it doesn't matter. Well, Rostropovich was spitting throughout the concert so much that all our violins, okay, in the first four rows of seconds oh, wow. were full of his spit, oh. okay? Okay, so, that, but we all finished the concert and he was as close to being, you know, gone from this universe. Yeah. He had given a bunch of, no, 12-year-old kids half his life. And I understood it because now, you know, I, I, I would imagine that you went through NYO. Yeah. Um, in, yeah. In, 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 okay. Yeah. So I, exactly a year ago, and this, this, this anecdote will also point out a couple of things. Exactly a year ago, I, I did uh, an amazing week with NYO, my, my third experience, yeah. and we did Copeland Third. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, I had three days off before my first, or four days off, and I decided to go skiing with my wife to Val d'Isère. Yeah. Now, the day before the first performance, the first rehearsal, a crazy Swedish lady, who I think was drunk, ran over me and opened a wound in my knee uh, of, of about four inches. Okay. And I go to the hospital and the thing I told the, the doctor, okay, the thing I told the doctor was, I don't care what you do. I have a rehearsal in London tomorrow. <laughs> and, and, and what he told me is the only way I can make you go into an airplane tomorrow is if I operate with minimum, minimum anesthesia. And then maybe they'll allow you on the flight. And that's what they did. And the next day with painkillers, I was rehearsing in, you know how NYO does, they, sure. they, they pick these out of the blue places in the middle of, uh, of, of the UK. I was rehearsing Copeland Three with painkillers and like, on, on, on a daze, you know, I couldn't really understand what I was doing. And then what I did so that I could give the kids all my attention is I stopped the painkillers. And for the six hours that I was rehearsing, my painkillers were them and were the music. And then after that, I needed to take painkillers right. again. I cannot explain why, but music does to you what nothing else can. Uh, and and if I can send a message to young kids, uh, good, bad, this, this was your passion before, keep doing this because your passion will be needed by more people after. And there are so many examples we can talk about with the Orchestra of the Americas when we went to Jamaica, when we went to Chile, when we went wherever. We have- Peru. Peru, my goodness. It's a, so many examples. Music is so essential that right now we have to focus on our doctors, on our caregivers, but we will be that very soon. So if you think that, 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 that your job or that your passion is in peril, think twice, because I think it'll be in need very, very soon. Yeah. Are you eligible to to uh, become president of the United States? <laughs> Either of you? 
Well, you, you know, this is this is something very, very interesting. Is look at the fact that today, okay, today people hang on to even the most obscure leaders in the most obscure positions, independent of their positions, which means that anybody can be anything today, okay? So again, for musicians, rest assured, you can be in the bass section of an orchestra and be a world leader. Amen. So I say Dominique, Dominique for... <laughs> for president. <laughs> yes, but you know, it's like, please, please make, make, make sure that, that you still keep doing your, your stuff because what you do is so necessary that I think we all need to learn from you because you have been doing for years what I think everybody needs to be doing in the future. So you're going to have more competition. I have to say, from across the, from across the water, this has been the most refreshing thing to speak to you guys. It's it's uh, the the most challenging thing for musicians, of course, is that we can't be with other musicians. And those are the people that we know and trust. And and so this is a, a, a second best, but it's this has been fantastic for me. Thank you, guys. Dominic, I've, I've I've always known that you're an extraordinary individual, and I see you in action. But this hour, I've gotten to know a person that I really would like to hang out with in the future and learn from. You. I want to thank you so much for sharing with us uh, your inspiration. Let's let's do this again. The feeling's absolutely mutual. Where do I send the bell? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Carlos Miguel Prieto. And I'm Raul Gomez. Join us next time. Good night, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Soundpost is a production of the Orchestra of the Americas Group with additional support provided by MYS Portland. Visit theoagroup.org backslash soundpost to learn more. <laughs>